Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast. I am also the Managing Director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The main focus of the podcast is to increase the knowledge of teachers in schools, but the podcast supports all professionals working with children or young people with SEND and is also really good for parents and carers of all children. This week, my guest is Yoti Manuel, the founder and director of Special Yoga. She has been teaching yoga since 1989 and been working with children with SEND for over 20 years. And this week we're discussing what is yoga and why use yoga to support children with SEND. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you are a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, we can help. Did you know you can use B-squared assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time, saving you money, and simplifying the whole assessment process. Visit the B-squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we are discussing yoga. What is it and why you use it to support children with SEND? My guest this week is Jyoti Manuel, the founder and director of Special Yoga. She has been teaching yoga since 1989 and set up Special Yoga 20 years ago to support pupils with SEND. She works with local education authorities, the NHS, schools, paediatric professionals and parents and carers. Welcome to the show, Jyoti. Thank you. It's really uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, you're welcome. So I know nothing about yoga apart from how it's portrayed in the media, which basically means leotards and mats. <laughs> we, and that's obviously given me a very skewed perspective of what yoga is all about. So what is yoga? Well, I have to say, I think your skewed perspective is the perspective of a lot of people. So I'm very happy to talk about what my perception of yoga is. Yoga for me is a philosophy of life. It's a way of being that keeps us connected, grounded, balanced, and at peace, actually. So the way in which I think yoga has come in from India, it's, sort of five, you know, it's over 5,000 years old. I think some people say it was started by scholars as a way of assisting learning. Whether that's true or not, who knows, because none of us have been here 5,000 years, but there's certainly some documentation that could attest to that. So I found that using yoga as a therapeutic intervention, which is how we use yoga, brings regulation, brings calm, brings peace, and brings us kind of connected to ourselves in a much more useful way than the way in which most people live. And one of the pathways of yoga is turning yourself into a pretzel. But, you know, and people often say, I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes. But the reality is, is that if you can breathe, you can do yoga. And, you know, when I started to work with children with physical complex needs who had no voluntary movement or limited voluntary movement, you know, I'd have parents ringing me say, well, how can my child do yoga? Because they can't this and they can't that and they can't the other. And I'm like, just bring them along and let's see what happens. And just through helping them to connect to their bodies, to help them to connect back to their breathing, to bring them to a, a calmer, connected state within themselves, the parents would go, wow, that's amazing. 
And then you start to look at how neuroplasticity works and how, you know, guided movement and, and embodied movement starts to create a different a relationship for the child with their body that perhaps, and not, not every time, but perhaps sometimes there's a little bit more potential in that child than has been seen before. Um, and so that's, that's for me what, how we use yoga in one way, um, but also for me what yoga really is. I see, I didn't realize it was a that old or B where it actually came from it. I actually never actually thought to find out or care. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so that, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize it came from India, but I suppose when you talk about people saying, Oh, I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes is in my head, there's kind of an entry level people maybe feel of it is going back to the, matt and the leotard on what is expected and that is kind of so many people's perspective of what it is mm. that you sit there and go well i either i'm not going to look good in the leotard <laughs> or i'm not going to i'll be laughing or something so therefore i'm not even going to give it a go well i think that's the case for many people and i think it's really a pity that yoga has that connotation because it's so much bigger than that and it's so much more useful than that and it's, you know, if, if one were able to kind of change the trajectory of how people perceive yoga, I think a lot more people would embrace it and see the value in it and not feel frightened by it. Definitely. And one of the things as I've got older and parts of my body have begun to fail, so I had a frozen shoulder recently, is you realize the importance of moving and using muscles. And it's not about going for a gym workout and doing all that. Lobby. It is stretching and learning through physiotherapy that I do certain things. Or is, it just, that's really odd and really interesting. And you need to stretch this muscle and stretch that muscle. And people have said you should do like Pilates and yoga type stuff because it is about it's not about doing weights. It is about stretching and doing things like that. So I'm sitting there realizing that actually trying to get into those strange positions probably might actually be good for me, <laughs> but it isn't all about that. It is about what I'm thinking about me doing yoga is more about me putting aside time to stretch and things like that. And also for me, it's, I started an understanding the benefits more mindfulness of just sitting down and just thinking about where I am, what I'm doing and things like that. And it's almost having that time in my head. So I'm doing my stretches, but I can also think about those things as well at the same time. Is that, is that a good reason or is it, or I missed the mark there? Uh, well, I think, first of all, I think you, you've got it by saying, you know, by bringing the mind in. Because we're not just a body, we're not just a mind, you know, we are. So the way that the yoga sees, sees the, the, the being of a human being is that we are actually quite a complex being and quite a simple being in another way. So we have layers of being. So we have an energetic body, we have a physical body, we have um, a, an emotional body, we have a spiritual body even. And so when we start to work with all aspects of our being, um, it you know, stretching is one piece of it. But when you start, and when we, if your mind is focused on the sensations that you're experiencing as you stretch, or the fact that you've even managed to move that arm or that hand in, in that place, then actually 
the experience is a different, it becomes an embodied experience. And when you start to embody the experience, it keeps the mind focused. In one of, it's very interesting because in one of the primary yoga texts, it says that uh, at the very beginning of it, that yoga is the mastery of the mind. And so yoga, when, when you stretch the body and you put the mind in that place, you're starting to learn how to master the mind because the mind, your mind can be your best friend and of course it'll be your worst enemy. Right. So mind training, then yoga becomes an aspect of yoga becomes mind training. So learning how to direct your thoughts, where to direct your thoughts and how to be present. So you mentioned that term at the beginning about being connected. Mm -hmm. And again, thanks to the media, when I hear that term connected, I think about being connected to nature Mm -hmm. and the world and Mm -hmm. the trees. Is that, but is it more like more connected to your body? I think it's both. That's the thing is I'm not interested about being connected with a bee or a bird (laughs) or anything, but I think I'm, I am more interested being more connected to my body because often my head's in one place and I'm living my life. I'm working hard Mm -hmm. and all my body is doing is carrying me to those places and helping me do it. And then you get to it and you're feeling really drained. Mm -hmm or you're doing stuff, mm-hmm. or it might take a while and you're going, this is not right. Mm-hmm. And as to me, what, what I've, what I've, when I've done my bits of information is that being connected, it's being more connected to my more aware of my own body mm-hmm. and having limits. Cause often when you tie yourself out physically, everything gets harder. So I've had back issues mm-hmm. and it's realizing that when something gives up or something is having a story, another part of your body compensates. Absolutely. And then when that bit's had enough, that's when you really get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that happens both physically. So one muscle struggling or you're not doing that properly. So that muscles, but I also think your mind does that as well. It might not be true, but to me, one of the things I'm, as I get older and realizing I'm falling apart is about being more connected to my body and being more aware of what I need to do to keep my body supporting me. Absolutely. And we, we know if we, when we listen to our, so one of the things that makes us exhausted is overthinking. Yes. Right. So if we are able to reduce the, the mental chatter a little bit and to be more connected to our bodies, then we can work with our energy better. We can listen to what we need and we can, you know, give that to ourselves. So then that cultivates a, an experience of self-care and self-love, which actually is neglected in the world that we live in, but actually in many ways is the most important thing because if we're in good shape, then actually the energy field that we put out to the world around us is a much more inviting, positive, uh, safe, uh, beautiful place. Definitely. And I, I did a podcast with, with Finton called about the Power of Mood. And that when you talk about that energy, you are literally talking about how receptive you mm-hmm. are to other people and how, when you walk into a room, how you're making others feel. Totally. It's that sort of energy, it's isn't it? It's totally that. It's totally that. And I think that children with SEN are even more sensitive to the energy of others. Yes. Actually. Yes. Because I've got, I've, got, I've got a nephew who really has to trust someone before he speaks mm-hmm. to them. So he will um 
not talk for a new teacher for maybe six weeks because he's watching them and judging them and seeing how they respond. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of that energy that person's giving out is my nephew's kind of reading mm -hmm. and deciding, are you someone I want to talk to and trust or mm -hmm. not? Mm -hmm. Very sensible, frankly. <laughs> is it, that's a discerning being in my books he is however the fact it takes six weeks not the most helpful no, no, of, course not. of course not but i think in many but ways it, those kids are teachers they teach us actually to you know to to understand how important our state is how important our regulation is how important our hearts are how we think what we feel about another person you know, because these children are picking up on all of those cues. Yes. And it, it is interesting when life's not going well and I was stressed and my kids were younger, they would sometimes pick up on things which I hadn't even noticed. Or sometimes I would be in a not a great place. They ask for something at the wrong moment and I snap and then I see their reaction and I've seen it, my impact on mm -hmm. them. And I've wanted to never do that again. Mm -hmm. I think every parent would say that they've experienced that. And it's that being able to pick apart why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And generally the person you snap at is never the person who caused you to be angry or stressed or anything. So for me, yeah, for my children, I wanted to make sure that I'm always approachable, mm -hmm. that I'm always non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, it's about, that's me, is about regulating myself a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I felt the relationship with my children had really worked by doing that. It has a massive impact. It has a massive impact because actually children don't learn from what we say. They learn from how we show up because we are the yes. models for them. So it's like, you know, yelling at a child to calm down. The child's not going to calm down. There's no invitation for a child to calm down. If you're shouting at them, you know, yes. and there's no point in saying, take a breath, take a breath, you know, knowing that that's what you need to do first, because actually if you did it, they'd probably do it without you even asking them to. Yes. And that's the thing, but it, it, I think it takes that awareness. I think something like yoga, I think, gives you that break in your life, in your cycle, in your life, your week. It's about giving yourself a break so you can actually see where you are. So it might be putting on a leotard and doing all of that stuff, <laughs> but that's what your body's doing. But it's giving your your mind time to be in that moment absolutely absolutely and you know our minds need training you know because the minds have a you know it's almost like they've got a mind of their own you know they, they're always off thinking that's what minds do but you know the thoughts can be useful and they can not be useful they can be present they can not be present you know um and and for me what yoga has done for me having practiced since 74 or something you know for a ridiculous amount of time is it's taught me how to be much more mindful of my thoughts more than anything yeah and yes my body's stronger and you know all of those things but actually the, you know my life's never going to change if i can get my leg behind my head let's face it right <laughs> it's not <laughs> yes. but my life will change if i learn how to master my thoughts open my heart regulate myself and be kinder so obviously there's the yoga mat and that lot so Obviously, you've been practicing yoga for quite a long time. 
Have there been times where you haven't been able to practice yoga in that physical way? And has that had a negative impact on you? Or, or do you, once you learn the yoga, you, you're kind of doing it without doing it in the physical way? I, I think our bodies need to stretch. So there have been times when I've hurt myself or done something to my body and I haven't been able to do the, the stretches that I like doing. So I've had to adjust and listen to my body and work with it. Um, I'm, I, you know, fortunately I have never been in the position where I've not been able to do anything physically. Um, but I have been limited unquestionably. And those times are, you know, you can take as a frustration or you can take as a beautiful learning that there are other ways to move. There are other ways to do things. There's other ways to connect. And the other thing that's really interesting is that, that if you do something inside your head, like imagine that you're doing it you get the same benefit as doing it. Okay. I sat with a, a, a woman um, who, uh, 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 who'd done yoga for many, many, many years. She had cerebral palsy. And she, I think by the time I met her, she must have been 60 or 70. And she said to me, my body does a lot less now than I used to be able to do with it, which is you know, normal for somebody with a, a condition like cerebral palsy. She said, but what I learned is, is that I can imagine myself doing it and I feel the same way that I used to feel when I actually did it. I was about to say, is it, if you imagine from nowhere, imagine doing this, it's probably nothing, but if you're kind of, you've done it for years and you're imagining doing it and exploring those feelings you felt, yeah, I, I can really imagine that actually it's that process of feeling it and imagining it as you do it. But I also think, you know, if you watch children, um, particularly, well, not necessarily with autism, but I've seen it quite regularly with kids with autism is they don't participate, but actually they're doing it inside their heads. So later on, they may sit with you in a session and do very little, and then they'll go home and do it, or they'll participate the following week or the week after or the week after. But slowly, once they, they understand what their body's being asked to do, they can start to participate but i think the process starts inside the head oftentimes yeah that that does that does make sense because sometimes is for me i have to go why am i doing this what's the benefit and i won't i don't just dive in to see i kind of got to go what's the reason for this what would i get and so i i do a lot of the processing and then i might watch others okay they're probably as bad as this at me and they're literally enjoying this. And I, so I'm that sort of person who will just watch and do things in my head and not join in and may go home and do it myself because I don't want to do it completely wrong. Mm-hmm. I might not be sure how to do it, how I'll look yeah. and things like that. And it is that doing it a number of times to get the confidence in doing it in front of others mm-hmm. is generally it's a self thing. Um, but it is making sure you are doing it right. Um, yeah, that, that does make sense to me. Or even for yeah. your body to understand what's being asked of it. Yes. That's the thing. Sometimes with some, it's that as you explore the senses, I've done with this with Joe Graceful, we talked about senses, is like closing your eyes and touching your nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, there's a sense. It's proprioceptive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning them all still. <laughs> and it's that sort of things that some children don't have that feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, I know my friend, he used to go to the gym regularly and he used to go, I didn't go to the gym for two weeks. I felt horrible and I could really feel I needed to, had to go back to the gym. And I'm literally looking at him going, I have no idea what you're on about. And 
I did a lot of exercise a couple of years ago, just after COVID, I did loads of walking. And when I stopped walking, I didn't immediately feel anything negative. But it took a month later, I, sl I actually went, I couldn't feel it, but I noticed maybe in how fast I walked or walked took longer, but I didn't feel it. So for me, what I've learned is I don't always feel changes in my body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, I, but after a while, I can, I can recognize it. I don't feel it. I can recognize the difference. And I think for some people, it's some people might get that immediate feeling, that stretch, or they'll feel afterwards. They'll you see them moving and shaking, going, "Oh, I'm a lot freer." Whereas I'm sitting there going, "I, can't, I don't feel any mm -hmm. difference." Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes it, you do it for a while, and it, and you won't feel a difference, but you might notice that something's changed later on in a different way, rather than feeling more flexible or softer or more supple you'll do something which was maybe a bit more of a challenge physically <laughs> that you find much easier. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's for me, that's how I think, which means I'm more skeptical of diving into something. I understand that. I understand that. And I think there are a lot of children who, um, who either, you know, who, who have disconnected from their bodies actually. And so what the yoga does, if we use it well and very therapeutically is it gently reestablishes a connection with their bodies. Yeah, that makes sense. So obviously we've got the mats and the uh, leotards and that yoga. Okay. And I'll stop saying leotards. Right. So. You can't keep saying leotards. <laughs> like, I've never worn one, actually. I've never worn one. <laughs> Just by the way. <laughs> but, but as you said, it's more than just going to a special, it's a way of life. So it becomes a state of being. So when you are calm and regulated, you're in a certain state of being, right? So that's yeah. what yoga takes you to. Okay. So is what you're saying is if you're out and about, you're still kind of, although you're not physically in that room doing those stretches, you could be sitting in a coffee shop, still, still doing those same things, being calm, being mindful. You can focus on your breath anywhere at any given time. So you have the ability to develop a relationship with your breathing, for example. So one of the eight limbs of yoga is movement, uh, what we call asana, stretching. Another is breathing, pranayama, which is control of your breath. So when we regulate our breathing, which is your biggest tool for emotional regulation, probably your primary tool for emotional regulation, um, and you can use that anyway. Once you build that relationship with your breath and you understand how to use it, you can use it anywhere at any given moment in time. And for some people who will be going using your breath. What does that mean? You've probably not experienced okay. <laughs> of, that's the thing is I, I wasn't aware, but I, I have been in that moment where I realised I kind of, I wasn't breathing. Well, you would be breathing a bit because you wouldn't be alive otherwise. But no, at the moment you literally you're emotional. You just literally you, you kind of stop and you're frozen yeah. and you're just this. And suddenly you go, yeah. and then you get out. And you literally it's like so. The idea of using your breath sounds really odd unless you've been in one of those situations where you've kind of not consciously been in control. Absolutely, of so your breath. It's kind of and being able to slow your breathing down or making sure you're breathing mm -hmm. consciously and being aware mm -hmm. of it is quite important in those moments it's really important and it's probably the one of the first places that we would start 
in in terms of working with a child would be to you know if I'm if I see a child for the first time the first thing I'm going to look at is how they're breathing because I know that that's your primary regulation tool and your your breath is also can can tell you kind of an emotional picture I mean not in terms of the story around it but you know how uh, disturbed you are emotionally by how rapidly you're breathing with how irregularly you're breathing how imbalanced your breath is from your in-breath to your out-breath you know the length of either and your most regulated place for your breath is you know is where your in-breath and your out-breath are the same length and relatively slow and relatively soft deep but soft so um that's the kind of most regulated place and when you practice you know you follow a practice of you know, mindfully doing that over a period of time, it starts to become your norm because you're retraining your body. Yeah. And then you have access to it at any given time. Yeah. And I think what happens is often when you are um, emotionally engaged in something, and obviously when you're speaking lots, you obviously you're spending a lot of time talking. So there's a lot of air going out. You might not be breathing. You might be doing it quite loudly. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to take an impact. And that has, by the fact you're not breathing properly, has that then a negative impact on your emotional state at that time? Absolutely. So the, the emotions and the breath are really connected. So if you think about that, when you, as, as you said, you know, if you're frustrated, angry, scared, you hold your breath, right? And you yeah. can't regulate that emotional experience until you let go of your breath and start to let the breath come in and go out, right? So your breath yep. changes your emotions and your emotions change your breath, right? So it's like a circle. It's almost like your lungs are listening to your brain all the time. There's a you know, constant yes. dialogue going on, you know, unspoken dialogue, obviously, but a communication going on between your lungs and your, your mind and your thoughts, and your, you know, because your emotions, uh, you know, are expressed through your thoughts generally or your behavior, you know. Depending yeah. on how complicated so, yeah, so yeah, so starting with your breathing is helping that child to be much, really improves their self regulation. Absolutely. So the key to that is the adult around the child uh, regulating their breathing. So that then what you're doing is is creating an unspoken communication between you and the child that invites the child to change their breath. Because what you're doing when you're regulated is you're creating a circle of safety for the child. Yes. And when you feel safe, you breathe better. Yeah. Which means you you regulate better and it's a circle which just keeps right. growing. And, you know, a lot of children with special needs will have some level of trauma, whether it's medicalized trauma, whether it's socialized trauma, whether it's the trauma of the parent, you know, who has inadvertently, always inadvertently passed that on because uh, trauma is transgenerational, uh, can, you know, often. Um, you know, and so you've got the likelihood is there will be trauma held in the child's body somewhere. And the breath is a really um, healing tool to start to dissipate that the, the, the trauma experiences and, and learn to become peaceful with it and safe. Definitely makes a lot of sense. We had, I, I worked with a, a, a young lady, uh, well, she was eight actually when I first started working with her, with cerebral palsy, non uh, pre verbal. And um, she had some medical uh, interventions done. 
And she'd been doing, by the time that happened, she'd been doing yoga with me for about three years, something like that. And, um, and the first session, by the way, she hit me. I mean, she tried to hit me the whole time because she was scared. She didn't know me. And I just took her hands. I just showed her my hands and I just said, look, my hand, I, I'm just here to love you. That's it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just here to love you. And by the end of the session, the mum's in tears and the kids stopped hitting me and never hit me again. But what was really amazing was when she went to the doctors for surgery, the doctors were amazed at how she literally sat and breathed to calm herself down. And this was a child with, you know, relatively low cognitive abilities. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not sure we always know, but, you know, it was stated that uh, certainly pre-verbal. Um, quite physically, uh, you know, uh, quite a lot of physical disability, uh, you know, uh, there. And yet she was able to connect with her breath. And the doctor said to me, they actually rang me, one of the doctors rang me and said, no, I've never seen anything like this before, ever. Wow. Wow. Um, one of the things, in the, in the information you sent me, you've written <laughs> um, that, what, what we do in our yoga instruments doesn't even look like what people think yoga should look like. So a yoga class, right? You know, so you're going back to the, you know, the, the leotard number. <laughs> I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't say leotard. <laughs> I just did though. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I think that it goes back to that, con, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, perception. perception. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. That, uh, you know, yoga is lots of twisty, bendy positions in a leotard. And sometimes uh, we don't even do much more than maybe stretch your arms a little bit or stretch your legs a little bit or make humming sounds. Humming is a very ancient uh, yoga practice that's really calming for the nervous system. Uh, we use massage points that actually help to calm and stabilize the uh, or open the, the block it, blocked energy pathways in the body to create uh, regulation or uh, uh, relaxation sometimes so sometimes we just sit with the child with that you know we might just be massaging them and breathing next to them so somebody looking is going what are you doing that's not yoga if your perception is you know you're going to be like twisty bendy what are you doing i i want to ask you because i've seen people meditating and humming what is the humming doing? Is it like a white noise thing? Uh, I don't, really, I don't really understand what white noise is, but what humming does. So the, one of the ways that our autonomic nervous system works uh, is through the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is the biggest nerve that runs from the brain uh, through the body to the belly. But um, when we uh, hum, the vibration, you're, you're creating a vibration, and the vibration goes right back into where the vagus nerve touches the back of the neck and then drops through into the, the autonomic nervous system. So it keeps, it creates calm. Ah. So white noise is, remember the olden days when your TV, you watch TV late at night, your TV turns off and you get that static, that, that waves crashing type, that's white noise. It kind of nothingness and it blocks out things. So some people sleep with that white noise. So I was trying to work out, was humming a, a noisy, but it's not, it's the vibration, it's vibration. on, mm. ah, okay. Because mm. you, you see it in various things of people humming and they sit going, hmm. Yeah. And you have, people joke about changing gear. That's the next <laughs> session, we'll change gear. Mm. And you see, okay, I, I, but okay. So it's, it's the vibration mm. going through the body and the impact of that on its, okay. I'm learning lots today. <laughs> Yeah. 
I mean, so it's a really, it, it, the way in which some of the, you know, anciently the yogis used to do it is you block in the, block the ears. So what it does is it, it brings all your senses inwards, you know, yes. as well, as well as creating the vibration. Okay. Yeah, because you see it in various films, Buddhists, oh. whatever, humming. Mm-hmm. I'm going, what is it? It's the vibration. And now I, I've, that, one of those questions, which I've never known I wanted the answer to until you mentioned humming, I now have. I think also what the, the I think also what the vibration does is almost like it it vibrates the thoughts out of your head. Yes. <laughs> so it's a vibrate. Yeah, it's a bit of white, the white noise is just it is that air. It's it's a noise which kind of blocks your yeah. thoughts. That's the idea of the white noise. You can get white noise apps on your phone, and it just sounds like the old TV signal that. <gasps> but it covers every frequency range. Yeah which is quite interesting. Yeah. So it covers it all and blocks other noises out. So if you, if you have like some noise near you, having that white noise on just gives you a, like a blank canvas. You won't hear that irregular noise. It just blocks it out to a more predictable sound. Yeah. But the humming doesn't work with, with all children who've got uh, severe sound sensitivity unless the frequency of the sound of that hum is okay for their nervous system. Okay. Because some sounds are okay for them and some sounds aren't okay for them. Ah, so it isn't about just getting a C sharp or anything. It is about what works for each yeah. person. I've seen children who um, are much more comfortable with a very high pitched sound, which for me would have me going, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've seen kids who, you know, can, you know, find a, a deeper sound much more, which I, for me, I would find much more calming. So not every child is going to have the same receptivity to the frequency of sound. And there is an aspect of yoga that touches on sound as well as a healing uh, modality. I, I, I always find music is very, the most relaxing thing. A known piece of music always helps me calm. There you go. <laughs> just something about, I don't know why, but music is always calming for me. Um, so we've talked about what yoga looks like. You've talked, we've talked about um, how it helps people to uh, self-regulate, be more connected. Why do it in schools? Well, I've, I've often felt that children come into schools and school's job is to educate the children. I mean, you know, um, and the children are not necessarily prepared in body and mind to be able to learn, you know, to be in the optimum state for learning. And I think that yoga offers an opportunity for children to, if they started their day with it, there is no question that they will be able to attend better, learn better, have better memory, um, and participate more. Yeah, it brings it brings them into the yeah. moment. Yeah, so I think that yoga should be in all schools. Well done, you know, you know, good yoga, not not you know, not play yoga, which is sometimes what's out there in the marketplace. Okay, so and so I think if children are self regulated, they're more they're more in the moment, they're more ready to learn. That is just going to have a huge impact on that classroom environment. And it, in theory, will also, if everyone's, everyone is more self-regulated, it's going to improve the relationships and hopefully it will reduce 
incidents where pupils are clashing with each other. Totally. I mean, I, I think the other thing is, is that, you know, uh, a lot of what we, we get called in about is around behaviour, uh, certainly in the auto, in more uh, autistic-based classrooms, ADHD-based classrooms, or even, you know, classrooms where there's a lot of trauma, I think, uh, that's not necessarily recognised. And behaviour is, for me, uh, and the way that we view behaviour is, is it's a form of communication. So, yeah. and it's basically saying that the child doesn't feel okay, you know, and that some, you know, some needs that they have are not being met. And whether that's a sensory need, whether that's an emotional need, where, you know, whether, you know, whatever the need is, it's not being heard and not being met. And if we, have, uh, as the adults, are more regulated, then we're more able to listen more deeply. That's number one. And number two is that when the child is more regulated, they tantrum less. You know, there are less, there are less, uh, I mean, we hear this all the time. I mean, literally all the time. Because is it, yeah, I suppose they're more regulated. So it's like um, we always, we've said previously on the podcast is when you're trying to find a parking space, you always turn the volume down on your radio. Exactly. <laughs> when we're at the beginning of a journey, your children are being noisy, that's fine. When you're down the motorway, it's fine. When you're lost and your children are noisy, that's the moment you yeah. snap. Because because you've got something going on, you're not as regulated as you Correct. were. So when something else happens, that's when you snap and you react. Correct. So if we can be more regulated, the same thing happening, we were less likely to react. Yep. yep. I mean, I think that you know, I think co-regulation. You know, where you're you're regulate the child regulates to you as the adult, and actually sometimes you you can regulate to the child as well when the child's calm. Um, actually is not valued enough. And I, yeah. I think that yoga gives an opportunity for what I would describe as compassionate co-regulation, you know, where there's a real kindness and listening and presence. You know, and at the end of the day, the biggest gift you can give anybody ever is your full presence. Yes. That's, that, that's one thing, that presence is highly underrated. I agree. <laughs> so for, for me as a parent, the best thing I've realized I can give my children yeah. is my time and being present with them. Absolutely. It's not about buying them stuff. It's not about taking them anywhere. It's about properly being with them in the moment and it might be we're just sitting on the bed having a chat it might be we're driving down the road having a conversation but it's not me going i'll jump in the car i've got to go do this and i'm focusing on what i'm doing my focus is on being there with my daughter and enjoying the journey absolutely absolutely um that's taken me years to learn I get it. it. Took me years to learn too, you know. <laughs> but I, so, but I um, think that yoga gives you that opportunity because it slows everything down. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we yeah, are living. We are you. living in a very anxious world at the moment. You know, a lot, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of stress, and there's a lot of trauma. And so, if we can calm all of that down, you, you can't be present when you're anxious. No. You can't. No, you really have to. Yeah, what I've it's yeah, it's being present is 
get get rid of anxieties, get rid of for me, or get rid of any judgments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just listen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's and it's it's not always it's quite hard to be non judgmental because mm-hmm. you could just go, oh, that's a judgment. Yeah. In that. So it's it's quite hard to come across and really portray being non judgmental in conversation. You know what's really interesting is that if you took that a stage deeper and you really looked at how you judged yourself, you'll find that where you judge yourself is where you judge others because we're just mirrors of each other. Yes, and again, this is the thing. I got a friend who does he does a lot of mindfulness to help him stay calm and he talks to me and it just takes me down rabbit warrens of thought processes Mm -hmm. as I think about this and think about, well, why do I think that what they're doing is a bad thing? So I reflect on why was I judging Mm -hmm. that? Why, why am I judging Mm -hmm. that? What's the reason? What's wrong with Mm -hmm. that? And trying to work out where that judgment's come Mm -hmm. from. I find quite a fascinating process and it is, Perhaps it's been instilled in me by the, either by my parents, um, via the media, or things like that. Because that's the thing. Most often our judgments haven't come from our own experiences. Mm-hmm. They've come from something someone else has fed into that we've us. Believed. That we've believed. So most people's perception of yoga is about seeing something on TV, seeing an advert, not from actually giving it a go. Correct. And, you know, I think you also have to think about the fact that just going into a yoga class that you don't like doesn't mean you hate yoga. It means you didn't like that teacher or the way in which they teach. So give it another chance. Yes. You know, because lots of That's there's lots of teachers out there right now with different experiences and different styles of practice. And what works for one won't work for another. Yes. And Yeah. That's the thing is I think – I need to start doing something around yoga, Pilates. But I think for me, I'm going to start on my mm-hmm. own. So at least I can do some things and going, I think I'm doing this right before I go actually even think about doing a mm-hmm. class. But I'm not sure there's any, I'm, I'm not sure there's any right or wrong. You know, I think wherever you are right now is where you are. And as you start to build a different relationship with your body, you know, you, you'll listen more deeply and then you'll figure out what feels right and what doesn't. Yeah. So we've talked about why do it in schools and you've been doing this a long time. So how many schools are you working with? Five, 10? I think we're working. Give give, give me an idea. How how big is yoga? I think yoga for schools is very big today. Actually. Um, We were invited into government the other day, actually uh, a couple of weeks ago, as part of a, a, a all-party parliamentary conference to talk about why yoga is important in, in within education, and uh, because of the crisis in mental health, and because there's so much uh, evidence now that yoga supports emotional and mental health, let alone physical health, um, that there is a real call to put yoga into schools, and I think it's being more and more recognised as a valuable and important practice. Um, when you step away from the, pre, you know, the preconceptions of what it isn't, actually. Yeah, because I suppose one of the things with yoga is it's something you can, there's a structure, there's a logic, there's a pathway, there's a whole ecosystem around yoga. There's the thoughts. There's the, whereas if you just go and do mindfulness, you'd be like going, 
where do I start? Well, I think, you know, mindfulness without the body doesn't work anyway. Because yeah. if you're disconnected from your body, you're overthinking and you're not actually connected. So the first place of mindfulness for me is let's feel my body. Yes. Let's settle my nervous system. And then I can really connect to the mind, you know, where my thoughts are going or how I feel or my emotional state or what the experience of that is, you know. And then you can start to identify that experience, you know, when you're about to go, you know, you're about to flip your lid or, you know, you can start to have an inner experience of understanding. So you have control over it or more control over it. Or you take yourself down those deep, dark black holes that everybody does at some level you know, emotionally, you know, when you beat yourself up and yeah. you, you know, or, you know, I mean, you don't feel good enough and, you know, and you can, you know, those black holes become less deep the more work you do. But I think you have to connect in with yeah. your body because your body is also part of, you know, part of your, you can't separate the mind from the body. No. And as you said, that breathing is such a connection to your emotional regulation that you're not going to calm your mind if your breathing is not involved. No you can't. It's physiologically impossible to self-regulate if you can't breathe deeply. Very good. Very interesting. And I'm just to be clear, I'm not going to go out and buy a leotard. <laughs> if you'd be doing it for that long, I definitely don't need a leotard. <laughs> I couldn't imagine putting a leotard on at my age, by the way. <laughs> That's that's the thing is is I, I suppose yeah you can wear anything you want as long as it doesn't get in move in, in way of your movement is the exactly. answer. Um, but I always find it interesting how media always kind of shows it the same way. I know, and it's it's. I find it interesting yeah, it's a pity because it's not it's not that, and you know, and I think it's a, you know, I think it's such a profound and beautiful pathway of of living and being. It's a pity that people don't understand it from that perspective. Yeah, we literally just see them uh, in. There's, there's a film. I can't remember what film it is, but basically, someone went to try it with their friend, but they had a bit of a cold and they kept coughing. The instructor had a huge gut and they were disturbing his class because we were supposed to be mindfulness. And it's like, but the whole thing was, yeah, it was just. It's never. It's rarely done in a positive way. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Media. Um, well, I, yes and no. I mean, I have seen some positive stuff about it, but um, I think, you know, I think if we can, you know, understand that, you know, use it as, you know, uh, for the amazing things that it can give you, the world will be a better place, <laughs> you know. Yes. And I think, yeah, I think we're all realising we need mindfulness in our lives and we need this sort of stuff because with everything going on in the world, it's getting more for us to yeah, handle. And we're all trying to um, swim very fast against the current. And and probably a lot of us are unaware of how much we can cope with. Mm -hmm. And when it starts getting dangerous for us, and it sounds just quite a thing of, oh, you just, it just, you cope with it. It's like, it gets to a point where things get very unhealthy. Um, and you are challenges that you might not recognize you can overcome. And it's, so I think people all, we all need help and support for being more aware of where we are and to take a step back and think about where we are and what we need to do. I think it's more about how we need to be. Yes. 
Yes. And for some people it's going, well, I'm too busy. Busy doing do what? That. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, why don't you make yourself less busy and connect yourself more and have more joy in your life, really? <laughs> and I think sometimes there are things you're kind of just you you're you're running around, but you might be able to do it a different way. And that's what I found a lot of times is there are different ways of doing things or you're doing something because you've always done it that way and you might not need to because your children have grown up. You might not need to do that or you could change that, but you haven't had time to think about making changes. And I think finding some time to think about where am I, where's my family at, what's my life at, where am I, what's coming up, what do I need to get ready for? Because if you're always firefighting, you're always on the back You'll always be exhausted. Yes. You'll always be exhausted. And and it sounds hard, but you've literally got to take some time out and find time to relax and just work out where you are, where you're going. Is it where you want to go? Things like that. I think we make less mistakes, and so we get more done. Yes. Uh, so a teacher of mine, I used to be a bit like a Duracell bunny because I've got that kind. I have got that kind of energy sometimes. And I remember her saying to me, "You need to slow down. You'll get more done." I looked at her, I'm like, "You're insane. That's a stupid thing to say." But actually, you know, it was one of those things that stayed with me. I thought, "Well, I wonder what that's about." So I, you know, I thought, "Okay, so what happens if I slow down?" And I realised that I made less mistakes. I made more sensible choices, and actually, I get more done in my day. I literally get more done in my day. Yeah. I, I know people who like to make their decisions really yeah. fast and they'll sometimes go down a path they have, which yeah. is the wrong path. They haven't listened. And if they just made a slight, slightly longer over the decision, maybe a bit of research, then they'd go down a more, a better path, which would waste less time and lead them. So there are things like that where, yeah, I do think, it might not be slowing down your doing, but slowing down decision-making. But I also think that, you know, when you're really connected to your body, there's something called intuition, which is your guiding force. And, you know, it, when we're too busy, we don't listen. And actually, we know the answers to everything. We just don't listen deeply enough. And what slowing down yes, offers then- you is the opportunity to really hear that intuitive voice, which is always correct. There's a book called The Chimp Paradox, which I know is not technically uh, true. There isn't a chimp, but also the way it works is not. T- but I like the metaphor. I like the things. There is the different parts of your brain, and there's this chimp, which is always a quick thing to answer. But there's another part of you, which is your computer. And if you can slow that chimp down, your chip, chimp is your quick response, your blurt an answer out, blurt a response out. Your computer is processing it all, recording the information and giving you an answer. And if you can just slow yourself, that chimp down, so you basically go, well, actually, I've got two answers now. I've got my chimp one and this one. You'll probably never go with that chimp answer. Absolutely. So there are people who just say yes and don't deliver. So it's the kind of the chimp saying, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yep, 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 yep. But not actually going, can I deliver? Can I do? And is this right for me? Um, is this right? Yes. And I, th- I, th- I think that for me, when we talk about slowing down, we're slowing down that initial response yeah. and just using more of that 
thinking about what's being asked me, thinking about the bigger picture. I would be feeling it, not thinking it, you see. I think as you get better, you get better at feeling it. Yeah. I think you get a feel. I, I, I know what you mean. I, I get a feeling and then I extrapolate it into okay. the thought. So I go, okay, it's this. And I go, why is it that? Okay. And generally it is what I felt was, has often been the right mm-hmm. thing, but I like to break it down just in case <laughs> it's not right. Just in case. Perfect. Perfect. Cool. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for helping me learn about yoga and get rid of my uh, misconceptions. Um, We'll be uh, in our show notes. You've given me a couple of links about uh, some research and some yoga schools information from the um, National Autistic Society website. Mm -hmm. So they'll be in the show notes uh, along with your contact details. So if you want to contact Jyoti, you can do. And you'll find the show notes wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please click on that subscribe button. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, and on Instagram, The Sendcast. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you want to see what is available from us, please have a look at the B Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress for school for pupils with SEND. Um, we have developed some content for schools in England, for schools in Wales, and schools for Scotland. So whatever curriculum we are using out of those, uh, we can help show progress. So please get in contact. You can also find out about our online training, our conferences, read our blog, or watch our webinars. It is all on the B Squared website. So you'll find a link to the website and to book an online meeting with me in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.